Hey guys, this is Chelsea Schaefer and this is The Score. This is the Team Roping Journal's venture into the world of podcasting. On this show, you'll be able to bring the Team Roping world's movers and shakers on the road or to the office with you. They'll be telling stories and talking through some of the issues facing this sport. As the editor of the Team Roping Journal, I'll be your host. Twice a month, you can look forward to an in-depth interview with guys like Aaron Sinigini, Trevor Brazil, and Billy Jack Sabins, who happen to be the stars of our first three episodes. I'll also have special guests from the World Series of Team Roping and the USTRC, as well as producers, to update you on new events, procedures, and rules. Our first guest is Aaron Sinigini, who won the world in 2015, splitting the title with Colin Von on. Since then, he's done battle on the road, but hasn't earned a trip back to the finals. After a rough 2016 that began an ERA competition and ended with an 18th place finish in the PRCA, Sinigini had an even rougher 2017. He and the partner that got him to that 2015 title, Ryan Motes, split up, and his great horse Smudge got hurt. For the first time in years, Sinigini went home in August. But the year didn't end on a terrible note. He won second at the U.S. Finals with Clint Summers. And this year, he and his new partner, Kyle Lockett, started the year off with a win at Denver's National Western Stock Show and Rodeo. Aaron's a pretty quiet guy, but he's got a pretty interesting take on the mental side of the team roping industry. And I think there's a lot that he has to say that's really valuable, especially to the amateur team ropers struggling with confidence going down the road. Um, why was Kyle always your bucket list healer? Why did you always want him to heal for you? When he, when I watched him on TV with Wade, Le- Wade Wheatley, man, that guy was so cool to watch. He'd just come around there and get him every time, and he was kind of a, he was kind of a uh, go for first all the time kind of guy, and he did it consistently. And then I got to rope with him in 2013 out in California, and we won like 15,000 out there, which is good for California run. And, uh, we roped good together and ever since then we've been good friends and uh, even when I won the world I'd call him every night after the rodeo and he's seen it on TV so he could see everything I did wrong and he'd tell me what I did wrong and Walt Woodard was the other one too that I'd talk to every morning same routine the next morning 10 o'clock I'd call both of them and be on the phone with them for about an hour two hours and go through the motions and what I'm supposed to be doing so he's kind of been a coach to me and even just with my confidence because that's the biggest thing rodeoing is having confidence and uh so he he's always i mean he'll tell you the truth that's one thing i like about him he won't lie when you're doing something wrong he ain't gonna make no excuses for you to try to make it sound like it was just an accident he always said hey you did this wrong i mean you know it makes you want to do better next time the night you won the world, I was thinking about that not long ago. Did you, you were not on most of the people's what ifs or the possible scenarios um, that could happen. Were you, did you go back into the box knowing that you were going to give yourself the best shot at a world title? Well, the night before I sat there and did the math for every scenario, I mean, I sat there for two, three hours going through it and it came it boiled down to me having a chance I had to move up one spot in the average if I wanted to go around and everything stayed the same I would have lost it by 
couple hundred dollars or a couple thousand dollars or something. So I knew I just had to move up one time. So I kind of had it all. Even if I moved up to fifth in the average, I had it panning out that JoJo and Level still had to be four six or four seven to to still beat me. And they were doing so good in the average. I didn't, you know, it could have it could have happened anyway. But so Rogers was ahead of me by five seconds in the average, and he broke the barrier, and they were five flat. So. I ended, I ended up having to be five flat to move up one spot in the average. So I knew if I went to the lead in the round, that'd give me a chance to win the world and whatever, you know, them guys. I had no control over them. So when I backed in there, I wasn't really nervous because when you, when you don't have a chance, oh, you, you always wish, I wish I had that chance. I wish I could just have that one chance. And that was my one chance. It was given to me. My back was against the wall. I had nothing to lose. I was sixth in line at the at the world title for the heading that year, so I had nothing to lose. And I wasn't scared, and I went at him as fast as I could. So after all the chips fell, where were you when they told you? Did you know you had won the world? Oh, I knew it was either close between Luke, Derek, and me. The year before, when I made the finals. There's a guy that runs up to the tent and grabs the world champs and takes him. So I was trying to, me and Sherwood and Rogers were trying to do the math. And I remember Sherwood, I said, man, I think Begay or uh, Luke got me by like 5,000. But I forgot I hadn't moved it. I moved up two spots in the average. So I moved from sixth to fourth. So I we were, it was close. So I just rode my horse to the back of the tent so I could see that guy run in. So I was sitting back there, and the guy wasn't coming, he wasn't coming, he wasn't coming. He finally ran in, and he's looking, and I'm in plain sight where you can see me. He's looking, he, you know, he's trying to find it, see who he's looking for. So I finally start riding my horse that way. And when he locks eyes with me, he's like, hey, come on, and that's when I knew I won it. Was there a pit in your stomach while you were watching it? Like, I... I feel like I can feel a pit in my stomach thinking about that moment. It's like backing in there at the BFI second callback, and you got to go be eight, nine seconds on this steer. And uh, me, I try to get in there and get out of there as fast as I can for big money. That way you don't get to thinking about it. And then once you go, everything just, I mean, it's like a magnet. You just get there as fast as you can and do your job. And so it's kind of like a slingshot to me. So when it was, so when, he was standing there at the door it was like that I had the same feeling like is it gonna be me is it gonna be me uh, so but it was Colin not Ryan so were you really conflicted that night yeah it well when the guy came and got me we automatically thought Ryan won it so he's happy everybody's happy we're headed, we're running down the tunnel after that guy. Well, the guy never tells Ryan it's not him. I guess they had already got Colin down there. Mm-hmm. And Brady Miner says, Ryan, you didn't win it. Colin won it. And he's like, and Ryan's like, oh, man, that's exactly what he said. And the guy's pulling me, making me go. And we, you know, it's like you're about to see this person for the last time. And you got to go. You're like, the train's, you got to get on the train to go. And we're just looking at each other. I'm like, Oh man, my heart kind of sunk a little bit. 
but yeah is there like any sort of bond with Colin like he will forever be the guy that you won the world with even though you didn't win the world with him like are you guys friends at all we are good friends and when we won the world that night you know we were having the time of our lives but to me it feels like you know no matter me and Ryan we quit roping together he's always going to be the guy that helped me help me win the world and Colin's got two championships he might win another one again but you know we're, we're good buds and it was for him he said it was pretty special to him to because you just win one and when you win another one it's like I won another one yeah like it wasn't an accident yeah it wasn't an accident and so Ryan's always going to be the person you won the world with and Smudge is always going to be the horse you won the world on Smudge is always going to be I think he's a top five horse ever that's what I think about him. Why? Oh, because there's not how many horses can you take and have a chance to win the BFI and win a world title on in a little building. You go from a big arena to a little arena. You got Walt, you got Scooter. Uh, what other horses were there? You got Thumper. Do. Do. You know, there's not many horses mm -hmm. that can that can do that and and be the best one there doing that. Take me back to he has the Western States brand on, right? Mm-hmm. So to the Adams then they raised him. Well, the Adams bought him as a two or three year old. And I think on his papers, he's actually out of Oklahoma. Mm. He's worth so much as out of, and the Adams had him, and uh, they had him for sale over there in Reno at their sale. And uh, Kirby Anderson bought him as a four-year-old. Yep. And so Kirby had him for how long? Kirby had him till he was 10, 11. And I got him. He's 16 this year. Where did you first see Smudge? How did you first find out about Smudge? Uh, he, uh, the Kirby always, he, he kind of ran the Dynamite Arena for a while right there in Cave Creek. He always flagged on this horse and he roped on him all the time. The horse got better and better. And it was like, this horse had, a, when he left the box, he had a real spooky, I mean, running running kind of attitude and he would run up there and his eyes would be so big and he could just always do it from the time I see him Kirby asked me to uh, we got to be friends and he asked me to take that if I he asked me if I wanted to take that horse and maybe sell him for him and uh, he said I'll give you percentage whatever you sell him for but he said if you hurt him or anything happens to him you owe me of what he's worth so I um, I'm a kid I didn't have money then and I'm already in debt so I'm like man this is gonna put me back at that time uh, with the amount of money he wanted for him was gonna I mean I couldn't get my hands on that for at least 10 years when that when that deal was going on so I said no I didn't I couldn't do it and uh, I think uh, two or three years went by 2012 I went home after Missoula, Montana, and I was fined up about 4000 
and I said I'm not coming back out here again unless I have the best head horse I can I know I can win on because I'm tired of getting beat by Clay Trine's got all the best horses Derek Begay's got all the best horses Chad Masters got all the best horses and that's why they dominate so I said I'm not gonna do it until I had the best horse so when I remember that horse I called him we started working on the deal around Christmas time I called him and told him hey I'll sell that horse for you I said I want to come try him see what he is he said yeah so I tried him the day before Christmas and I went home to the res for Christmas and I picked him up the day after Christmas and we went to four jackpots that week and I was first I call at three of the four and so it took me from a mediocre header to all of a sudden a dominant one and so I told Kirby I'll try to sell him for you or I'll find the money to pay you and that's how that deal that's how I ended up with him did he pay for himself when you won the US finals that year yeah mm -hmm. yeah did I uh, I was supposed to actually pay him off by the end of the rodeo season and I was getting a little nervous about the deal and I ended up 16th or 17th that year so I was headed home from uh, Pendleton and I, was, and I was like, man, I don't know what I'm going to do. I owe a lot of money on this horse deal. This guy's going to take this horse away, and he's going to sell him for three times what the original plan was. Like, man, I don't know how I'm going to do it. I don't know where I'm going to get the money. And I'm stressing out. I remember I was around Page Coppermine area and uh, headed back to Albuquerque and them, and Kirby called me. I'm like, oh, this is it. So we started talking for a while. He says, hey, bad deal. Cleo's horse went down over there. Should have made the NFR. I said, that horse is yours. Belongs to you. We'll figure out a way. You're going to win. You're going to get the money to pay him off. So he said, don't. He says, I know you're probably worried about it right now, but he said, that horse is yours. So... We went to the U.S. Finals, and we won the U.S. Finals and paid him off a month later. That's awesome. That's like serendipity. Mm-hmm. Um, you said something earlier in the day. You were like, I haven't made the Finals in two years. How, how frustrating have your last two rodeo seasons been? Huh. Well... The first thing I was taught uh, was Victor Brigade. He's taught me a lot in, through my rodeo career, and that's probably more the reason why I've succeeded this far. But the first thing he taught me when I went to his house, he said, you're going to learn how to lose. And I was thinking, I don't want to lose, you know. He said, no, you're going to learn how to lose, and you'll know why. He said, that's why all these kids on the reservation, they rope good, they don't want to get nowhere because they don't know how to lose. Because he said, you're going to go in a slump. And when you go in that slump, you're going to know how to lose and you're going to take it a lot better than the way everyone else does. So, I think that's helped me a lot. <laughs> I've you, you learn to forget. When you watch the NFR in the stands or on TV in December, it's nobody else's fault but yours. Nobody to blame. So the f 2016, the year after I won the world, I 
watch the finals. I ended up 17th by about 2,500. Had a chance to make it at the end, but I roped terrible all year long. And when I finally, that's one thing I think I'm good at is I can find another gear and find a way how to win. When I finally found that gear, it was a little too late. Whatever. And I think part of the, the biggest problem that year was I just got done winning the world and I just kind of went half-ass and just thought, I'll make it. You know, I've made it two in a row and kind of took a deep breath and kind of just went along expecting to make it without putting the effort and all that into it. So that's, you know, that's nobody's fault. Well, last year, uh, I wrote bad in the winter. I wrote bad in the summer. And that's why I got cut. <laughs> and my horse went down and gotta have a good horse. You gotta have a good horse to be able to win. And uh, I went home in August last year. And the last time I went home was in 2012. And when I made my decision to go home, I was okay with it. I knew that I needed to go home. I needed to regroup because a lot of guys get caught up in doing what I did last year, trying to rodeo on mediocre horses and it's a and thinking about, you know, it's a gamble. It's a gamble when you go into rodeo that way when you're not sure about your horsepower, you're not sure about your partner. You know, that's if, if that, to me, if I'm thinking like that again, then I'm probably not going to make the NFR. Because before 2014, before I made it, that's the way it was. I shuffled partners around, and it was a gamble. So now, when I, when I went rodeo this year, the yellow was ready to go. And I felt good about my partner decision. And I don't have the same feeling I had last year. Should there be like a partner cutting code of ethics? Like, should there, should somebody like put part of, like, how to switch partners in the rule book of the PRCA? What is, what should a guy do if he wants to change partners? What's the right way to do it? I think the right way to do it is just straight up tell him, hey, I don't want to do it no more. I, I respect that more than trying to, the guy trying to rodeo with me and, being half-assed about how I'm doing my job and talking behind my back and all that, I'd just rather him say, hey, we're done. And uh, every time I've got cut, it's nobody else's fault but mine. I, I rope terrible, and that's why it's, we've got to this point. You know, I'm the same way. I mean, I have to win, and if I rope with the same partner for a long time and then I ain't winning like I want to I'm gonna change do you th do you rope better so there's guys on the road that have to win to keep rodeoing and there's guys on the road that can keep staying on the road who do you think has a mentally easier time which position do you think I mean I don't know if you can say because you've never been in the other position but like which position do you think is mentally easier to win in I don't know if you come from what you're saying if like people with money I think for me like one <laughs> this, is, this is bad when I get to winning and a little bit of money and I start feeling comfortable it's almost like I start giving up 
rather than my back's against the wall and I'm broke and I need to win because I've roped that way since I've been a kid and I always and I didn't always win like I needed to but now if one of my backs against the wall I do the best and so I I don't know I don't I don't know if I answered that question or if I really can no I think you answered that question hey guys I'm just gonna chime in here and let you know that Erin's border collie, Hattie, she jumped in the truck right around this time. You're not gonna wanna miss this part, but hang in there through the squeaks. She had a squeaky toy that she thought was a lot of fun and the audio equipment picked it up very well. Sorry about that, we'll get better next time. But in the meantime, enjoy. When did you take your gold buckle off? I don't know. When my stomach started kind of hanging over it, I guess. Was there a day where you were like, I can't wear this anymore? Or well, did you slowly start to not wear I, it? I uh, actually kept getting it cleaned. And it looks so nice when they clean it. It looks like it's brand new. And I wore it to one dinner. And after that, I said, I'm going to leave it looking nice. So I took it off. And half of it was just, I've been doing terrible. And I... I feel like I don't, it shouldn't be this way, but when I'm wearing it, yeah, you feel like, hey, I'm somebody, and you kind of take things for granted instead of remembering where you started and where you come from and, and how you got there. So you start to take shortcuts. I think that's the way it makes me feel. So when I put an old the old one on, I'm in... It, I guess it helps me make me feel like I'm still trying to get somewhere. Mm -hmm. It helps me. This shouldn't, that kind of sounds bad, but really, I mean, I'm not lying. That's really how it made me feel. And plus, the one I'm wearing now is lucky. Was there like a, a low point that you realized that? That I was starting to suck? Yeah. Yeah, when I, uh, I get down on myself a lot, and when I quit last year, to, I went home in August, that was a low point. I was, the only thing that kept me motivated was the last week I quit, I turned eight, eight out of nine steers, and about seven of them were for first. So I knew, but it took me about three to three weeks to actually get back to that point roping a dummy every night every morning going through the motions practicing a lot again every you know stopping at people's houses and practicing and i think what held me back was my horsepower and the horses i had i was not used to them yet and just when i quit i got me and the yellow started to figure each other out so i think half of it's just horsepower so I didn't really get down on myself. I kind of blamed half of it on horsepower. Well, think because anybody, to me, anybody can rope. But if you're not riding the best horses, you don't win as much as you should be. Aaron, thanks for sitting in your truck and visiting with me. Guys, this is the end of our first episode of The Score, the new podcast by the Team Rope and Journal. Join us in two weeks for the second episode. This one will be with Trevor Brazil. Thanks for listening, and I look forward to hearing from you maybe on our Facebook page, 
maybe in an email at cshafer at aimmedia.com, and you can let me know what you think of this new venture.